Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Could these study results apply to your life? If you or a loved one are living with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, take a look at the data for a clinical study where 50% of eligible people with HER2-positive MBC lived over two years without their tumors growing or spreading. Visit HER2Results.com to learn more. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes in a Nissan Pathfinder, search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Your teen requested a ride, but this time not from you. It's through their Uber teen account. You drive your teenager around a lot to their friend Jacob's house, their other friend Jake's house, to James's, to Jaden's, to Jalen's, to... Uh, Mom? This is Jake's house, not Jacob's. Now with an Uber teen account, your teen can request a ride under your supervision. They'll ride with a highly rated driver, and with live trip tracking, you'll follow along the whole ride to their friends' houses that all sound the same. Add your teen to your Uber account today. See app for details. Bye, Mom. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, and our favorite subject, as you know, is American history. Nowadays, we never have to think about how long a message might take to get somewhere or to someone. In fact, often, if there isn't a near instantaneous reply, we often get frustrated or even annoyed. If the message is going from Oxford, Mississippi, or sending to, let's say, Oxford, England, We want it now, and we want it fast. John Steele Gordon, a historian and friend of Hillsdale, is here to tell us how the story of the telegraph and the transatlantic cable changed the world. You know, some inventions are more important than others. I mean, Oscar Hammerstein I, the great opera impresario, was the grandfather of the the lyricist. 
um, who was a great inventor too, by the way, um, but he once invented a reversible necktie so that you could spill gravy on two sides. Um, and he, he sold it, he made money on this thing, but this did not change the world. <laughs> It had been known for a hundred years that you could send electricity down a wire. Many very important scientists of the 18th century had um, investigated this, including Benjamin Franklin, whose famous experiment with the kite and the key proved that lightning is an electrical phenomenon. If you're tempted to reproduce Franklin's experiment, I would strongly suggest that you don't. It was a parlor game until the 19th century when wire became cheap because wire factories powered by steam could draw out copper very quickly and efficiently. Before then, you had to beat it out. And so the telegraph became practical in the early 19th century, and people all over the world were trying to do it. Two men in England, Wheatstone and Cook, developed and patented a system in 1837 that actually worked. It was kind of clunky, but it worked. Samuel Morris in this country sent his famous message, What Hath God Wrought, in 1844. And his system eventually became adopted worldwide because it was simpler than the other systems and also because of his marvelously efficient code, which is the only part of the whole system that he invented entirely himself. Everything else was mainly bits and pieces he had borrowed. Uh, and the code was, it was so efficient that people discovered very soon that they could, at first they would write down the dots and the dashes and then they would translate them. They found that once telegraphers got used to it that they could actually do it by ear and just write down the message. One of the very first people to learn how to do that, by the way, uh, was a young telegrapher in, in Pittsburgh whose name was Andrew Carnegie. And telegraph wires sprung up like crazy. They often used the, um, the rights of way of, of the railroads as a convenient place to string their poles and their wires. And it wasn't long before the railroads learned that they could use the telegraph as a signaling system because most of the railroads in those days were single track. And so if there was an oncoming train expected and it didn't come, well, this train had to sit on the siding until it came. Uh, with the telegraph, they could telegraph ahead saying, you know, we're stuck, you guys can come on. Suddenly the railroads were much more efficient. Prices went down, use went up. But underwater telegraphy was another matter. Nobody knew if it was possible, but there was a very strong reason to try. And that was in the 1840s and 50s, the strongest country in the world uh, was located on an archipelago off of Northwest Europe. They wanted to be able to connect to Europe. And so it was trying, I mean, the English have always loved to be, they, they love that 22 miles of water between them and the French. But um, they also, I mean, the, the famous mid-19th century Times of London um, headline, Fog in Channel, Continent Cut Off. And so a pair of brothers named Brett ordered 30 miles of telegraph wire and put on the back of a boat and reeled it out across the channel and tried to send a message back to Dover. And the message got there it was gibberish, undecipherable, but at least it proved that you could get an electric signal through 22 miles of of a submarine cable. And what made the cable possible was this stuff called gutta percha. Uh, the sole use of gutta percha today is it's used to fill root canals after you've had the nerve removed. The, the dentist puts in gutta percha. And shortly after it came into use, a, a golf playing clergyman in, in 
Scotland wondered if they might possibly be able to make golf balls out of gutta percha because they had been making them, they were called featheries, and they were made of leather and stuffed with boiled goose feathers. And this was a very highly skilled job, stuffing the feathers into the uh, golf ball, and they were very expensive, and they only lasted maybe two or three games. Um, so this clergyman who loved to play golf but didn't like paying for the featheries made golf balls out of gutta percha, and hey, it worked great. And they were very much cheaper. And he discovered after he'd played with them two or three times that the ball started going further. And he didn't understand why. We, we do not understand why now. It was the dents and the nicks imparted by the golf clubs um, gave it better aerodynamics. And so they put dimples on golf balls. And that's why the dimples are there to this day. Um, because the ball goes farther and then golf players love that characteristic. <laughs> And now we come to a guy who was responsible for the cable. Uh, it wouldn't have happened without him. It would have happened eventually, but it wouldn't have happened nearly as soon as it did. And his name was Cyrus Field. And he came from an old New England family from Connecticut. Uh, his father was David Dudley Field, uh, a great New England clergyman. Um, he was distinguished enough as a clergyman and as an author to be listed today in the Dictionary of American Biography, which is the standard 24-volume work on distinguished Americans of the past. The Reverend David Dudley Field and his wife had eight sons. They had three daughters and eight sons. Two of the sons died. One died in childhood. One died in very early manhood. He was lost at sea. Of the six sons who lived to a full lifetime, four of them made it into the Dictionary of American Biography on their own. The two who didn't one was a very distinguished engineer, and the other was president of the Massachusetts Senate for three terms. So he may have been a great clergyman, but clearly the Reverend David Dudley Field was a pretty good father, too. <laughs> and you're listening to John Steele Gordon. And by the way, his book, A Thread Across the Ocean, The Story of the Transatlantic Cable, is terrific. Go to Amazon.com, pick it up, or the usual suspects. When we come back... More of the story of how the telegraph went from Samuel Morse to winning World War I here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country and especially the stories of America's rich past, know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free hey guys lavar errington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new toyota truck like a rugged half ton tundra workhorse by nature powerhouse by design the tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures and with the available iforce max hybrid powertrain you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hello there. This is Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. Through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Look to your left, look to your right. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back with Our American Stories and the story of the transatlantic cable. Historian John Steele Gordon was just introducing Cyrus Field, a bright young man from a very impressive New England family who was the person responsible for connecting 
both sides of the Atlantic. Cyrus Field was not as intellectual as some of his brothers, just as smart, just not as interested in, in book learning. And when he was 16, he asked his father's permission to go to New York and go into business, and his father granted it. New York is unique among American colonies. The Puritans came to New England, the Quakers came to Philadelphia, the Catholics came to Maryland in order to worship as they wished to do so. The Dutch came to New York to make money and for no other reason whatsoever. In fact, they didn't even get around to building a church for 17 years. They're so busy trading furs. When they did, they named it the Church of St. Nicholas, and Santa Claus has been the patron saint of New York ever since. So Cyrus Field came to this town that was famous for hustle and bustle and let's make a deal. And he was very, very good at doing exactly that. He owned a paper company, a wholesale paper company, and became very rich. By the time he was in his 30s, he was worth several hundred thousand dollars, which in the 1850s made you enormously rich. Uh, he lived in a great big house on Gramercy Park. Um, his brother right next door, they had a, doors that communicated between the two houses. Um, and he was sort of, he was bored with running the paper company because he was an entrepreneur at heart and once the thing was up and running and just cranking out dividends, he bored him. He was perfectly willing to take the dividends, of course. Um, and then one day, his brother, Matthew Field, um, brought a guy named Frederick Gisborne over to see him because Gisborne had been running a telegraph line across the southern shore of Newfoundland and with the hopes of putting a cable across the, the Cabot Strait, the entrance to the um, St. Lawrence River, and connected to the telegraph grid in, in North America. Because he said that would make communication with England two days shorter because Newfoundland is one-third of the way along the Great Circle route to, to England. And Cyrus Hill wasn't very interested in that because um, they didn't think two days made that all difference because it was only one day difference to Halifax, um, which was connected to the telegraph grid already. But then he just he looked at the globe in his library and saw that you know that Newfoundland was indeed one third of the way up on the shortest route to England. And he said, well, hey, if we could lay a cable all the way to Ireland, then we could communication wouldn't be ten days; it would be. 10 minutes, and you know, we can make money doing that. And so he decided to do it. He wrote a couple of people, Matthew Fontaine Murray, the great oceanographer, asking if it was possible, and Murray wrote back saying, funny you should ask, we just did a series of soundings, and we found this thing which we actually have named the Telegraph Plateau, because it's the ideal place to lay a telegraph cable. Then he asked Samuel Morse if it was possible, and Morse said, sure. Uh, Morse was a tinkerer, he was actually a great uh, portrait artist, um, but he wasn't very well technically grounded either. He'd borrowed most of his ideas from people who knew much more about telegraphy than he did. Field decides to go ahead with this, and of course he had no idea what he was getting into. Almost like if somebody in the 1950s reading about the success of the Russian Sputnik saying, hey, I've got an idea, how about a manned expedition to Mars? Because the, the longest Undersea cable in 1854 was um, less than 300 miles laid across the North Sea, which never gets deeper than about 300 feet. And this would have to be 2,000 miles long and be at a depth of sometimes 15,000 feet. So he embarks upon it. He got his neighbor, Peter Cooper, the founder of the Cooper Union, the, to this day, the only American 
university that does not charge tuition. And you also got Moses Taylor, who was an enormously rich man who ended up controlling the gaslight industry in, in New York. And they all put in very considerable sums of money, and off they go. Starting on this, the first thing they did was delay the telegraph line across the southern shore of, of Newfoundland, which turned out to take about four times as long as they had counted on and cost five or six times as much. The southern shore of Newfoundland is not an easy place to work. If you like rain and fog, you will love Newfoundland. And then they were going to lay the cable across the, the Cabot Strait, about 80 miles, and they simply had no idea what they were doing. They ordered the cable in England, the only place in the world that could make submarine cable. It was brought over in a sailing ship. They hired a steamship in New York to go up there. It was going to tow the sailing ship across as the sailing ship unreeled the, the cable. And they invited everybody on board to come on board the steamboat. So all the investors, um, Peter Cooper was there, the Reverend David Dudley Field, aged about 70, was there. Their wives and daughters were there in big hats and, and long skirts and parasols. And they got to St. John's in the capital of Newfoundland. They were, the whole city was full of great, large, black, amiable Newfoundland dogs. And they fell in love with them, and they bought 10 or 12, um, brought them on board. And so here was a combination between a commercial enterprise on the cutting edge of technology and a yachting party. And the captain proved to be very uncooperative. Uh, he refused to follow orders, for one thing. He said, I'll know how to sail my ship. Well, he, he may have known how to sail a ship. He didn't know where they wanted it to sail. Um, and finally, they had to cut the cable, and it was a $500,000 disaster. So they needed lots more money, and the only place to get it was England. And England was much more enthusiastic about the cable than the United States was, because England had this worldwide empire which was very difficult to communicate with. And so the British government said, okay, once the cable works, we guarantee to pay you 16,000 pounds a year, which means you can borrow at 4%, you know, virtually the entire cost of, of estimated cost of laying the cable, once it works. The United States government made the same promise, although it took great deal of screaming and yelling in Congress because a lot of Americans think, you know, what do we need this for? Uh, but they finally did come on board. Each of the, the navies donated two ships. The U.S. lent the USS Niagara, one of the largest warships in the world, made of iron, state-of-the-art ship design. The British gave them the Agamemnon, which although it was steam-powered, um, it looked for all the world like a boat that had, that had fought at Trafalgar 50 years earlier. I mean, it was a three-decker, three-masted ship of the line that had been retrofitted for steam. And it was a lousy sailor, as most of those great big tubby ships of the line were. They had to use two ships because there wasn't, no ship in the world could carry enough cable to do the whole job. The first time they started in Ireland, got out about 400 miles, and the cable snapped, and that was the end of that. There wasn't enough time. The next year, they tried it again, sailed out to the middle this time. Before they got to the middle, they were caught in one of the worst Atlantic storms um, in memory. Uh, the Agamemnon survived only because of superb seamanship on the part of the captain and the crew. 
It had 250 tons of cables sitting on its forward deck, which made it even more top-heavy than it had been before, and he managed to save that cable. They could have just cut it and tossed it, but they did not. They survived. They tried it again. The cable snapped. They went back to England. At this point, they were derided by everybody. This was, you know, a wild goose chase. Why are we putting money into this silly thing? And Field said, look, you know, the money's been spent. We have the cable. We have enough to do it. Let's try it again. You know, we've got nothing to lose. Otherwise, we just sell the cable for scrap, and then it's a certain disaster. So they tried it, and it worked. They unreeled it virtually without any problem whatsoever. And you're hearing the true nature of an entrepreneur. And that is, they see things that no one else sees, and they're not even sure they know how to do. They call a few guys, a few gals, and the next thing you know, they're giving it a shot. And when they fail, they just want to try it one more time because they want to fix what didn't work and make that dream a reality. And not some pie-in-the-sky crazy dream, but something doable. And when you think of a guy like Elon Musk saying, I want to build a spaceship to somewhere, well, he's doing it. This spirit, well, it's always been in humankind and something about our country unleashes it in people and allows it to thrive. When we come back, more of John Steele Gordon's story, the story of the transatlantic cable here on Our American Stories. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. 
With the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma. Delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hello there. This is Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. Through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Look to your left, look to your right, No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back with the conclusion of the Cyrus Field and Transatlantic Cable story and the Telegraph Cable that connected America to England and from there to the rest of the world. We pick up at the point where the United States and England have finally, after many failures, connected the cable from one side of the Atlantic to the other. Here again is John Steele Gordon. Got to Newfoundland, hooked it up, and a and it worked. Um, they had huge celebrations. It was like the second coming. George Templeton Strong um, wrote in his diary that, you know, some people are really going wild, but moderate people say it's only the greatest thing that has ever happened. <laughs> they had huge parties in New York. They sent fireworks off of, of City Hall. Um, so enthusiastically, they set City Hall on fire. Um, the cupola is... Um, uh, a replacement because it was burned in that fire. Um, fortunately, they saved the building because it's a magnificent building. I don't approve often of what goes on inside it, but architecturally, it is wonderful. And Queen Victoria sent a message, a 99-word message to President Buchanan. What the cable company did not tell people was that the 99-word message took 16 and a half hours to transmit. Uh, the cable was working, but just barely. And then it just wasn't working at all. It just stopped. And they never did figure out exactly why. So they they tried again, and they had to wait at that point until the Civil War, which broke out after the second attempt. They had run out of money, for one thing, and before they could begin to raise enough money, um, they had to wait for the Civil War to end. And... Also, there was a board of inquiry. The very first time there was an official board of inquiry to find out 
what caused the disaster. Because they'd also the British had also had a terrible, an 800,000 pound disaster laying a cable to India through the Red Sea. That had also failed to work. What went wrong, how we can do it better, learn our lessons here, and they learned all kinds of lessons. One was they didn't have a vocabulary of electricity. And so it was very hard to discuss technical issues because people were using different words and had, you know, or different meanings to the same words. And so they started coining words and they started using the names of great scientists of the past. So words like Watt for James Watt and Ohm for Georg Ohm and Ampere, one of the great French um, early investors, and Volta, the uh, great Italian in investigator of, of electricity. And this is the first time scientists were honored in this way. It goes on to this day. We now have Newtons and all kinds of names. I mean, that's, you know you've arrived as a scientist when you get you know, some incomprehensible concept named after you. <laughs> they then designed a new cable. One of the problems with the old cable was that it had been very quickly designed because Field, he, his greatest virtue as an entrepreneur was his drive to let's get it done. It was also his greatest defect because he didn't give enough time for experiments. They designed a much better cable. The first cable had been about as big around as a man's little finger. Uh, the second cable was about as big around as a man's thumb, which is a considerable improvement. Um, still a very long, thin thread across the ocean. And also they had an extraordinary stroke of luck in the, the greatest engineer of the 19th century, his name was Isambard Kingdom Brunel, which I think is a really great name. I mean, Dickens could have thought up that name. He designed a steamship called the Great Eastern, which was launched in the Thames River in 1858. Uh, it was, not only was it the largest ship in the world, it was five times the size of any ship afloat. And throughout its 30 years of existence, wherever it was, whether it was Bombay or Boston or Baltimore, it looked like a rowboat in a pond full of ducks. It was just gigantic. Had it, the Panama Canal existed when the Great Eastern did, the Great Eastern could not have utilized it. It was too wide to get through the Panama Canal. Brunel realized that you could go the whole you made a ship big enough because the energy required increased more or less as the square, but the, the capacity increased as the cube. So you could do more and more. And he said, build a big enough ship. And he designed this colossal ship and somehow talked people into paying to have it built. It was an economic disaster. There were six owners of the Great Eastern. All of them lost major money, including the scrap dealer who owned it last because it turned out to be extremely expensive to break it up for scrap. It was also absolutely perfect for laying the Atlantic Cable. They could lay the whole thing. Because it was so enormous, it was much less subject to wave action, so it was much less likely to snap the cable. Um, you could have all the workers you needed on board. Um, and since it was out of work anyway, because it was an economic white elephant, they were more than happy to uh, lease it to be used for the cable. So in 1865, off they go again. And they get four-fifths of the way across, and then it snaps. They went back to England, tail between their legs. Sure, they were going to be objects of utter derision. And in fact, everybody said, hey, you had bad luck. Now we know we can do it. All we got to do is just have good luck. And the next year, they laid the fifth attempt, went like clockwork. They then went back out, grabbed the fourth attempt, spliced it on, and within three weeks had two cables across the Atlantic Ocean. And North America has not been out of communication with Europe for more than a couple of hours ever since.
Uh, it revolutionized the world. The London and Wall Street markets began to act in concert because they could now were in instant communication. Uh, newspapers, they formed the UPI, the United Press International, so they could cut cable costs, so we'd get European news today, which was just, you know, you could read what was going on in Europe today. Today was just an extraordinary um, thing to them. We just take it totally for granted. We just, you know, want to know what the weather is in London, we'd find out. However, it was very expensive to use a cable. The first price was dollar a word, 15 word minimum. That was $15, and when a skilled worker was lucky to earn $5 a week, this led to considerable brevity. And also, they didn't use the capacity of the, of the two cables. And then when the French cable came in, landed here in Duxbury in 1869, it was a separate organization, competition. Competition is wonderful for capitalism. Capitalists don't like it so much, but for capitalism, it's great. Prices of both went way down, usage soared, and became very profitable. Cyrus Field became enormously rich. And the world just changed. The world just changed. And to give you an idea of how much it changed, the British declared war on Germany on August 1st, 1914. On August 2nd, 1914, a British cable ship in the dark of night sailed over to the German coast, grappled up the German cables, and cut them, forcing the Germans to communicate with the outside world by radio. And the Germans, as they always did, thought their codes were unbreakable, and the British, as they always did, broke them. Uh, the British were geniuses at, at cryptography. And one of the things they decoded was the famous Zimmerman telegram, where the Germans offered Mexico in exchange for an alliance and an attack upon the United States, offered Mexico the return of their lost provinces roughly the southwest quarter of the United States, um, when the British quietly gave this to the American government, the American government was convinced that maybe it was time to go over there and defeat Germany and save the British and the French's behinds because they were about to lose. And you've been listening to John Steele Gordon thread a story that most of us didn't know, and even if you did, you didn't mind hearing again. His book is A Thread Across the Ocean, the story of the transatlantic cable. And our history stories, all of our American history stories, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College. Go and sign up for their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu. John Steele Gordon, A Thread Across the Ocean, the story of the transatlantic cable. Get the book now. The story here on Our American Stories. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free hey doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new toyota truck like a rugged half-ton tundra Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma. Delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hello there. This is Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. Through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Look to your left, look to your right. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Our American Stories, and as you all know by now, some of our favorite stories to tell are stories about businesses. We previously told you the story of Jim Keyes and how he rose out of poverty to become the CEO of 7-Eleven and save the company from collapsing after filing for bankruptcy. Today, Jim joins us again to tell another story of 7-Eleven. Here's Jim with a story. 
around the time the company filed for bankruptcy, I went to my mentor at the time, the person who had encouraged me to come to 7-Eleven, a guy named John Thompson. He was the son of the founder of 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven started in 1927 with an ice house, an ice dock in Oak Cliff, just south of Dallas. And it was selling 50-pound blocks of ice to people to put in their, uh, quote, their ice box. Literally, there was no refrigeration at the time. You couldn't just plug in a refrigerator. So uh, it's hard to imagine that in 1927 we were still doing this. And how did you get ice to Dallas, Texas? So they were a very successful company, but it was quite a process to mine ice, literally, from the north, get it to the south, store it uh, in, a, in an environment with no refrigeration. They had to store the ice literally underground and to sell it in small blocks that people could put in their ice box to keep their, their milk and their eggs cold. So uh, I, I went to John Thompson and said, should I leave the company? Uh, have I made a bad career choice here? You know, I've only been here for five years. I'm still a pretty young guy. You're bankrupt. We're bankrupt. People are saying 7-Eleven has no need to exist anymore because grocery stores were open 24 hours. Everyone else sold beer and cigarettes. And he said, that's precisely the problem. He said, if you go back, he said, I'll just tell you what my daddy told me, the story of the Frigidaire being invented sometime around 1928. He said, here we were sold at selling ice. And we would have gone out of business by 1930. But my uncle Johnny Green, he said, started asking customers what they want. And what they told him was, we don't come here for the ice, we come here for the convenience of buying ice from you. Or how else are we gonna get ice, right? So you make it convenient. Well, now we've got frigid air. We don't need ice anymore. We've got our own refrigerator to keep things cold. Why don't you sell us things to put in that more conveniently than having to run to the grocery store? And so they did. So that literally was the birth of the first convenience store, 7-Eleven, um, that was called Utotem at the time. And, uh, and they emerged from there. John's lesson to me was that he said, Jim, if you dial forward to 1990, 1991, we've gotten ourselves to the point now where we sell beer, soft drinks, and cigarettes because those things used to be more convenient to buy here than somewhere else. But everybody sells those now. So your job is to find things that people need more conveniently. And if you can do that, there's no reason, he said, convenience will never go away. Beer and cigarettes may diminish, but convenience will never die. And I took, him, I took him to heart. I stayed with the company, uh, started becoming obsessed with finding things, whether it was uh, a, a multifunction ATM that we could put in every store, uh, prepaid phone cards that I found in Asia and brought back to the United States, um, a, a beer with an aluminum bottle that you see now, you know, everywhere uh, that we use to differentiate. I found that product in Asia and brought it back here to the United States and convinced Budweiser to make it first. And, uh, lots of ways to innovate with convenience, and that differentiation gave us 10 years of improved same-store sales and, and helped make my career. I talk a lot about the American dream now, uh, and I talk a lot about being the beneficiary of the American dream, but I never really understood it or talked about it in personal terms until I discovered from my first-generation 7-Eleven franchisees what the American dream really was. And that occurred in a backwards way. Again, it occurred through crisis, through catastrophe. It happened uh, on 9-11. Um, we were, I was on my way to work. I was actually stopping at the office to pick up a bag and head to New York City on 9-11. By the time I got to the office, of course, the first tower had been hit. 
And my flight was canceled and we were all gathered around the TVs trying to figure out what was going on. And it wasn't long, it was probably right after the second tower fell and there was now confirmation that this was a terrorist attack that we started getting inbound calls about franchisees. Um, we had, in the worst case, right in Chicago, we had an off-duty police officer go up to one of our franchisees, Sikh, Indian gentleman, put a gun to his head, said, go back home. You just blew up the World Trade Center. So it was a, a blanket stereotype of everyone in our stores from Indians to Pakistanis to Mexican immigrants who were running a store or in a store who were perceived to be the problem. That was a wake-up call for all of us. We invoked our Y2K protocol, which is interestingly enough, we had just come through Y2K without any incident. But thankfully, we put a, a protocol in place that allowed us to communicate with every single store on an hourly basis in case there were problems. So we put that protocol in place and were shocked at the number of incidents that were occurring all over the country in our stores where first-generation Americans were being persecuted for their image, not even their religion or their or their ethnicity, just for their image in the store as non-American, perceived to be non-American. So we, we put a number of things in place. We were the first to reach out to the American Red Cross and said, we want to bury our stores in red, white, and blue. We did the little red, white, and blue ribbons and started selling them for a dollar with a contribution going to the Red Cross. We ended up raising like 300 million bucks in the first 30 days to be able to help uh, in some way. But our, our objective was somewhat selfish. We wanted to to Americanize the stores and deflect this, this um, perception that, that people had that we were not American. Um, following that, we, I began to talk to franchisees. Why, why are we? You know, we had been the butt of Jay Leno's jokes, David Letterman's jokes. Jay Leno one time gave me an award here in Dallas and when I walked off stage, everyone was laughing and I didn't understand why they were laughing and I sat down and was told, he just, as soon as you walked off stage, said, can you believe it? A guy from 7-Eleven who speaks English. And, and, and so I, I realized we've got, a, we've got a bad image here that is, is not, I mean, maybe, it's, maybe it is true. Why, why are we so heavily minority in our stores? And I started asking franchisees, what, how'd you get here? Why did you become a 7-Eleven franchisee? And the stories were all very much the same. They were, ironically, they were my story. I came from nothing. Or, or I came from a country where I had things and I came to this country with nothing. I came here with $500 in a suitcase, and I knew that hard work in this country would pay off. And so I found that if I go to a 7-Eleven store, I can work on my own. I can either work for another franchisee, and if I work really hard, they'll help me save enough money to get my own business. And then the harder I work, the more I can make. And if I want two stores or three stores, I can get those. That's 7-Eleven, that's Subway, that's McDonald's. It's the same story, and many of the franchisees are related. And so if you go to a place like Los Angeles, I found there are interrelated families where, you know, one family would be successful and they'd invite another family to come work in their store and then that would shoot off five more franchisees. And, and I realized this is the American dream. It's what these people, they've discovered the American dream. Here and in our own backyard, we have people that think there are no opportunities here. And they're not partaking of the American dream. So let's celebrate this. So I took them all to Ellis Island for the 75th anniversary of 7-Eleven. We were bringing a lot of international people to Ellis Island. It sort of freaked out the, uh, 
park police and the, but we got approvals to do this. We had, we had a massive event there and I did it on Ellis Island on purpose to celebrate the diversity of 7-Eleven. We had uh, one of those beautiful things. We had a parade of 135 little kids, each carrying the flag of a, of a country that was represented by our franchisees. All our franchisees from all over the world, from, from China, from Taiwan, Sweden, from, from everywhere, all came in. We had, we had literally 135 or so nationalities represented in the fireworks and the, the whole thing on Ellis Island. But I gave a speech and I brought up a guy who was the head of the franchisee organization. And he and I had discovered that we both lived in the same building in New York City. It was uh, called the College Residence Hotel. It was a little by the day or maybe by the hour kind of hotel. It was a pretty shady place. It was all, all I could afford. It was all he could afford. We discovered that we lived there at the same time and that I was staying there because I couldn't afford a place in New York when I was in Columbia University. I literally drove back and forth because gas was cheaper than an apartment until I found this place that I could actually afford. He was staying there because he came 500 bucks in his pocket and a suitcase. So here we were, two very poor individuals with different paths. I went to Columbia University, ended up at 7-Eleven, became CEO of the company. He stayed in that franchise store, got a second store, a third store, became franchisee of four or five stores on Long Island. He was ironically making more money than I was at the time. But those are two exact outcomes. Celebrating the American dream. We both told our story on Ellis Island. Celebrating the American dream. Both different paths, but both classic examples of the American dream. My favorite franchisee story at 7-Eleven. And what a beautiful story. And we're talking about Jim Key's 20% or more of all businesses are, by the way, franchisees and franchisors. This new way of doing business that America invented. Story of the American dream, told as well as it can be told. Jim Keyes, his story, his franchisees' stories here on Our American Story. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 
Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into real-life adventure. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Platt's exclusive Google built-in is your always updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Could these study results apply to your life? If you or a loved one are living with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, take a look at the data for a clinical study where 50% of eligible people with HER2-positive MBC lived over two years without their tumors growing or spreading. Visit her2results.com to learn more.